0: Welcome to Taking the Lead, a podcast where top executives share their insights on leadership and talent development. I'm your host for this episode, Rahila Anwar, Chief of Sales and Client Service at BPI Group. BPI Group helps people and organizations develop and change to enhance their resilience and success. In this episode, we'll speak with Jean Mason, Head of HR at Baxter International. We'll talk about her views on aptitude versus attitude, her work with high potentials, and how organizations can improve their efforts when it comes to diversity. With that, let's start the show. Hello, Jean, welcome.
1: Hi, Rahila, great to see you.
0: You've said before that organizational psychology redirected your life. Tell me what you mean by that.
1: Well, some time ago, Back in graduate school, I was very interested in clinical psychology, and it wasn't until I took a course in organizational psychology that I found really where my interest lies. And it was a combination of the business world and psychology, which prior to taking that class, I didn't even know there was such a thing as organizational psychology. So so it's how you apply the principles of psychology in a business environment. And once I took that course, I was off in a different direction.
0: As the head of HR, where do you come down on aptitude versus attitude? Could you tell us a quick story about why you feel that way?
1: Wow, I could probably tell lots of stories about this, but I would say that the overarching idea is that over my career, there's been very few people that I have seen at a senior level fail because of aptitude. It's always been in the zone of attitude, behaviors, how they work with people. So, I really think that the whole attitude aspect can lift the aptitude to wherever it needs to be.
0: Let's pivot to an important topic, high potentials. Could you give us a bit of background on how the thinking around high potentials has changed even in the course of your own career? Do you happen to recall when you first heard the term?
1: Wow, well, I probably first heard the term way back in my early days at GE because we talked a lot about um, high potentials at that point in time and how to develop high potentials. What are the assignments that they need to get? What are the experiences? And so that's been, you know, a very longstanding concept in my career in HR. You know, I don't know that the thinking has really changed about high potentials over time. I mean, I think we get more clarity around how you develop high potentials. I think a lot of what we've thought about in the past is the speed at which you move people through assignments. Many of the thoughts back in the GE days were a couple years, move on to the next, a couple years, move on to the next. But I think I've evolved my thinking in it's not the speed at which you do it, it's what you do. It's what kind of assignments you take on. So, So I think that making sure that high potentials are less focused on the trajectory and speed and more focused on... What are they going to get out of the assignment that they're taking on, the experience? What's the organization going to get out of it? And is it going to add to their overall development?
0: What's different about getting the best out of high potentials than other employees, both in terms of the significance for Baxter and the methods that you've seen that work?
1: You know, I think getting the best out of everybody is really what you aim for. The reality is when you have high potentials, getting the best out of them means you're probably gonna get about 200% getting the best out of your average employee is probably going to get about 120 percent. So you can really leverage their capabilities, their aptitudes, their attitudes, if the attitude's in the right place. And uh, the company is going to benefit tenfold. I mean, sometimes you look at the organization and say 80 percent of the work is done by 10 percent of the people. And if the 10 percent of the people are the high potentials, that's where you're going to really leverage the organization. An example that I can think about uh, high potential in our organization is an individual who had actually been at the company for about 20 years. And they were in the scientific part of the organization. They had gotten a PhD, very, very smart, but essentially buried in the organization. They weren't getting the right exposure. They weren't coming in contact with the right individuals. And they raised their hand to go and do something a little bit different. Once they raised their hand and we found them, we were able to pull them through other assignments quickly. And in the course of three years, they went from a director position to a vice president position. And it was about experiences. It was about finding these individuals, because sometimes that's about 90% of the battle, figuring out who the high potentials are. And the other 10% is putting them into the right experiences. So this individual has had an incredible trajectory once we discovered her and gave her the opportunity to have different experiences in the organization. So finding and then giving experiences to individuals is absolutely the key.
0: So, Jean, if you were giving advice to someone who's relatively new to the workforce, who's new to Baxter, what would you tell them as the core behaviors or attitudes to be successful and potentially even a high potential?
1: Well, at Baxter, we implemented a couple of years ago now a process called ACE. It's align, check in, and execute. And what it was designed to do was to replace performance reviews. So we don't do performance reviews here at Backstream or we don't do the annual performance review. We have the ACE process. So monthly, employees sit down with their manager and they talk about what's working, what's not working, and um, you know, manager says, what can I do to help you? This is the opportunity for every employee, and I encourage new employees to use this process. Get feedback, because feedback is what will put you on the right trajectory. Don't wait until something goes wrong. Ask for the feedback. Always focus on improvement. Always focus on what's the next thing you can do. That's how you become... A top talent. I always look for those people who raise their hand. When I ask who wants to volunteer and all the hands go down, when the hand goes up, that's the person I remember. Take on what you need to take on to show your boss that you've got more capacity than the boss might have thought you had. And it's through the ACE process, it's through our feedback process, I would say everybody take that opportunity to let your manager know you can do more. And that's what it's all about.
0: Let's talk about diversity in the workplace, specifically equal representation when it comes to gender. This isn't a new topic, but it's one where progress has been highly incremental. How can organizations get to the next level in the years ahead?
1: This is something we spend a lot of time talking about. We have a lot of passion for, and our CEO has a lot of passion for as well. He's made the declaration to the organization that he wants our global leadership team, which is the top 200 individuals in the organization to be 50-50 gender. And so we're working on that. Uh, We monitor that. Every time there is an open director position in the organization, we look at the slate. If a diverse individual is not hired in the organization, if there are diverse candidates on the slate, but the diverse individual is not selected, we have a process that we call pause and discuss. And so it doesn't mean we necessarily get a change in the decision, but we're deliberately looking at the diverse individuals to make sure they're getting the right consideration for the position. And we believe that that's going to help encourage managers to select the pipeline, because the pipeline is what we're lacking. We have a pretty good representation of women. We're at 35% of our vice president level, but that's far from the 50% that we're shooting for. And um, with this new process, we're hoping that that's going to make a difference. But it's 15 or 20 of these kinds of things that you have to do in the organization. But you have to start somewhere, and you have to make a commitment, and you have to have an organization understand that commitment starts at the top.
0: So, Jean, in our previous conversations, what I found so admirable about Baxter is that you and Joe, when he became CEO, took the opportunity in looking at engagement score results to say, what more can we do? And you put some real resources behind the development of women. So would you tell us a little bit about that?
1: One of the things that we started with was we pulled together our senior women in the organization. We brought a consultant in to do essentially anonymous interviews for us to gather information to understand what does Baxter need to do differently for our women to make sure this is the best place to work for women, to make sure that we attract women, to make sure that we retain the women. And they came back with some really great ideas for us. One that I'd highlight here is, and it's not a new idea, it's sponsorship. A lot of talk around about the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. And we've had mentors here at Baxter for decades. Good idea, and I think it's an idea we should continue to drive. But we decided sponsorship was the next level up where we would ask senior leaders to identify women down in their organizations that they would take a particular interest in supporting, driving, giving visibility to, giving opportunity for us to get to know them. And we believe this is just one more important way for women to see that we do endorse women at the senior level. We're trying to move more women up into the organization, and we're giving an ownership to the senior leaders to help make that happen.
0: Baxter has been I would say quiet publicly about the incredible work that's been done. Do you ever benchmark with other pharma companies or medical space companies?
1: Well, we definitely benchmark the numbers. So, we have the point of view we want our unfair share. We are at benchmark and we look at the healthcare space because we think that's the relevant metric and we are in you know the zone of 30% is about where others are. It's a little bit difficult because you know, some of these numbers are more US oriented versus globally oriented. We're a global company, so we want to look at it globally. And candidly, when you look at the numbers globally, we get drugged down by some parts of the world where the opportunity for women is less and we have fewer women represented. We've got a great representation in Asia. We've got less of a strong representation in Latin America and Europe, um, and a strong representation in the US. So, yeah, we do benchmark, but we're never gonna be happy with the benchmark. I don't think the benchmark's even close to 50%, and that's our objective.
0: I think that when you think about Baxter's presence as both an employer brand as well as a well-known organization in the US, you immediately have positive thoughts about Baxter. When you look at geographies where Baxter isn't as well-known, are you taking different tacts or different methods to attract individuals both diverse and otherwise to the Baxter brand?
1: I'd say our methods are probably pretty similar Uh, we do have four goals in the company one of those goals is to be the best place to work and we believe in that being the goal everywhere in the world and so there's some variance on what it means to be a best place to work in different parts of the world but we try to roll out global initiatives like um, workplace flexibility that's something that's not always represented in european countries but but we have it when we rolled out the workplace flexibility, that was a global policy, and it was always wherever it can be, we want it to be, and that's very very positive. Another thing things, we have business resource groups that try to focus on the different needs of different groups of employees in the organization. We have Baxter Women Leaders. That's a global organization that also focuses on how to help women with whatever it is they need in the workplace. So whatever it takes locally to be a best place to work, we get lots of recognition in countries around the world as being a best place to work. And we're constantly focused on also being a best place to work for women.
0: So, even here in 2019, workplace flexibility isn't as consistent or as widely offered as some organizations have made it. And I think Baxter has been a leader. Could you talk a little bit about what your flexibility policies have done for attraction and retention of talent?
1: Sure. Yeah, actually, you know, at Baxter, we've had a policy for workplace flexibility probably for a couple decades. But it's one thing about having a policy and it's another thing about having it implemented and having managers support it. It really comes with manager support. So about three years ago, we really took it on as something we wanted managers to own and offer to employees, to encourage with employees. And it became very, very important when I had a senior leader come to me and say, Gene, you know, we have several high potential women. And they feel like they need to leave Baxter because they have family commitments, they have things that are going on in their lives that the work hours just don't work for them. And they're looking for other companies where there's more flexibility, where there's half day job, there's come in early, maybe certain days you can take off, much more flexibility. And that was the clarion call to me to say, we cannot lose our high potentials simply because we have this great policy, but we're not implementing it. So we've really moved towards you know, much more advertising of it. It's really important for the CEO to stand up and declare it uh, something that he believes in. He does a lot of traveling, and, you know, there's times when he works from home. And I've said to Joe, I said, look, you know, it would be great. He sends out these little messages for Joe on the road and put in one of your messages. Well, today, while I was working at home, to signal to the managers that, hey, Everybody should be given a chance to work at home. And in particular, let's make sure we don't lose our high potentials because this is something important to them, especially millennials. They want more flexibility. Here in in Deerfield, they're driving up from the city. They want to be able to either come in early and leave or beat the traffic. Whatever it is that they need, that's what workplace flexibility is supposed to provide. So to attract and retain the best, that's what you have to do.
0: You're one of the most responsive human beings I come across professionally and personally, and I consider you to be just an extraordinary role model, honestly. What advice do you give other women who want to have the same impact that you've had?
1: Well, first of all, thank you. That's very kind. What I would say is know what you want and then shoot for it. Don't wait for someone to come and tell you that you can have it. Put in a plan. I put my plan in decades ago, and uh, you stick with your plan. And so you can always alter steps along the way, but it's really about knowing what you want and not giving up on your dreams. And don't take no for an answer because you don't have to.
0: Jean, thank you so much. We really appreciate this.
1: You're most welcome. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Taking the Lead is a production of BPI Group, and the views expressed are those of the host and guests. For more information, please visit bpi-group.us. Music for this podcast is courtesy
1: of Jazzar.